Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Happy Sabbath, Church. It's good to be back with my entire family. We've had an ordeal where we've been separated for about a month as far as illness and together we are all here today so it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Daniel chapter 4 for some reason is a chapter I've been looking forward to in a long while. As I studied this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, it's a chapter we may be familiar with but it's a chapter that has brought Nebuchadnezzar into my heart a little bit more. I almost shed a tear for Nebuchadnezzar this week. And my daughter Hannah and I were talking about how we would love to meet him one day in heaven. For he's going to be there. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 4, I want to recap Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3 was still defiant of the God of heaven. He had been shown the dream. He had been told the interpretation. And yet by the time he got to Daniel chapter 3, he said, I'm going to do it like Frank Sinatra my way. It's not going to be different metals. It's going to be all of gold. And my kingdom will last forever. And he was ready to kill anyone who defied his interpretation of the dream. The Hebrew boys, as we learned last week, though, in spite of the pressures of the king, in spite of the fiery furnace, in spite of the death decree, which we know one day we will face, they remain faithful to God. And the best part about that is that they said, even if God should let us die, we're going to trust him over you. We're not going to worship your image. And here's where I want to point out the attitude of Nebuchadnezzar as we have seen him through the first three chapters. In chapter 1, he was the aggressor, attacking Jerusalem, attacking God's people, taking God's vessels out of God's temple, bringing them to his temple. The implication is that my God is bigger than your God. But in chapter 2, he's troubled not knowing what the future holds, not knowing who can give him the interpretation, not knowing what exactly is happening in his life. And there have been moments in our life where we're troubled, where we're restless, where God is asking us to wait patiently. And we're troubled with what's happening in our lives. And then in chapter 3, he goes from troubled to anger. He is ready to do away with anybody who would dare defy him, with anybody who would dare to stand up against his decree. He is full of rage. He is full of anger. And it shows you that he has yet to surrender to the God of heaven. How do I know this? Because after receiving the interpretation in Daniel chapter 2, if you turned with me to Daniel 2.47, he utters this praise in 2.47. He says, The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal the mystery. But if you notice, he's saying he's your God, not my God. Yes, he done this wonderful thing, but he's your God, not my God. In chapter 3, after seeing God miraculously heal 
not he'll save the three Hebrew boys. He utters this phrase, and it lets us know that his heart is not yet surrendered to God. In Daniel 3.29, he says, Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Part of that is good. There is no other God like Jehovah. There is no other God like us. But if you ever find yourself wanting to force your God on somebody else, you can tell your heart is not right with God. For even if the nation should pass a law today that says everybody should keep the seventh day holy, if it would happen as a natural revival, amen to that. But if it would happen by legislation, no thank you. For God is a God who requires worship freely given. For he freely gave his son for us. We should freely worship him. So after these two miracles, after these two direct impressions of God, his heart is still not right with God. But in Daniel chapter 4, that all changes. This heathen king is writing to us his personal testimony. Look at verse 1 in Hebrews, I mean Daniel chapter 4 verse 1. The first three verses says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, men in every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. Now think about it. If you're reading this letter and you're in the far remotes of his kingdom and you've been captured, this most aggressive king, this king who would slay anybody at the drop of a hat is now wishing you peace? Now you're reading that letter. Hmm, where's this going? He says, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonder which the Most High has God has done for me. Think of what God did. Revealed to him the future. Made a miracle of saving these boys. And he says, what God has revealed to me, and not a selfish me, but a me that says, God loves me so much that he would take me, this heathen king, raised in paganism. Like Romans says, while I was still helpless, while I was still a sinner, while I was still an enemy of God, he did this for me. You know why? Because God is going to pursue you until your last breath. Because he wants nothing for you but to be saved in eternal life with him. He's going to pursue you like he did this king. And he will do whatever it takes to give you the choice, the clearest choice you'll ever have in your life. To choose life or death. God or the enemy. And so Nebuchadnezzar is praising, look, I was born in heathenism. I was born in paganism. I was a cruel king. I was a king who will kill you at a drop of a dime. But this is what the Most High has done for me. You and I can argue theology all the time. People and I, me and other ministers, we can argue about the Sabbath. We can argue about the state of the dead. We can argue about the second coming. But what you cannot argue with me is what God has done for me. He's changed 
my life, Nebuchadnezzar says. He has done this for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. That which he refused to acknowledge in chapters 2 and 3, he is now proclaiming to his entire kingdom that God's kingdom is the only one that will last for all generations. That's his opening remarks in chapter 4. He's letting you know that he's different now. He's letting you know that he's been touched by the grace of God. He's letting you know that all he wants to do now is share his testimony of what God has done for me, he says. And I pray that we all have a testimony that we can share with others quickly of what God has done for us. But every testimony has a dark side. Every testimony has a place where you have come from in order to express the glory that God has done for you. So that's what Daniel chapter 4 is. And in verse 9 he says, after receiving this dream of this tree and how it was going to be cut down. In verse 9, he says to Daniel, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dream which I have seen along with the interpretation. In the previous verses, the king had seen a tree and this tree basically encompassed the whole world and every animal and every person benefited from this tree and this tree represented King Nebuchadnezzar and the fact that his kingdom ruled the world and everybody's ration and portion and safety depended on the blessing of the king. He was their life giver. He was their sustainer. He was their protector and God acknowledged that he was so but in the dream, the tree was also cut down. He didn't know exactly what that meant, so he asked Daniel because he knew there was something special in Daniel. I want you to see this before we dive deeper into the text. Four times these, this point comes out in the text, and this is the point of Daniel chapter 4. What God is after that Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn. And look, it's here. It says in Daniel 4.17, In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. Once again in verse 25, Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Two more times in Daniel 4.26, Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. And finally in verse 32 he says, And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What is Nebuchadnezzar, the lesson he needs to learn? That God is in control. That nothing happens unless God allows it. Either his active will or his passive will. Think about everything you've been through in your life. It either has been God's active will or his passive will. But nevertheless, God 
God is in control. Think of every vote you have voted for, whether Republican or Democrat, whether they won or they lost, God is in control. That's why nothing that happens will ever take me by surprise once I've learned this because I've come to realize that my God is in control. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn this lesson and he needed to learn it quickly because his salvation depended on, on it because pride had consumed them just like it did Lucifer. But that's only the king's problem, right? We don't suffer from that, do we? We worry about things to the point where we worry so much about them that we put God almost in second place. We worry so much about outcomes, about our jobs, about our graduation, about our kids, not realizing that God loves your kids more than you do. Yes, we must do our part. Yes, we must, we must cooperate with God. But our number one duty is to lay down our pride and surrender to his will. There's this line in a song that I like. It says this, love and pride cannot occupy the same spaces. Only one makes you free. And that one love is the love of Jesus Christ. We tend to look at Nebuchadnezzar as the enemy. But he wasn't the enemy. He was a wayward lost child that God wanted to bring home. You think of all the evil people we have known in this world. You think of all the evil people, including people like Hitler. Now, if I was a betting man, Hitler is probably lost. I'm almost sure of it. But that's not because God did not try to win him to himself. God did everything possible to try to bring him into a faith-saving relationship. Why? Because the Bible tells me, for God so loved the world. So Nebuchadnezzar wasn't really the enemy. He was a child who had gone away from God and God wanted to bring him home. We put ourselves in the place of God often. We think we can handle it when it is only he that will give us the strength. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn this lesson. Look at verse 14. We'll pick up the story there. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut it off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. But with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of earth. Let his mind be changed that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order, listen, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and, it, and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. In this first iteration of this, he doesn't, specifically talk about Nebuchadnezzar, he says, in order that who? The living. That's you and I. What haven't you surrendered to God? 
What have, what do we keep in our hearts to say, I'm going to do it my way and not trust God's way? If we are sincere with ourselves, there are things that we have had to overcome or are struggling with now to completely leave in the hands of God. Because we too must recognize that the Most High is a ruler over my life and your life. That what's happening in the United States today is not outside the preview of God's control. It may be his active will or his passive will, but this world will not end and catch God by surprise. Nebuchadnezzar says, this is a dream in verse 18, which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation. Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for spirit of the holy gods is in you. Remember, he's sharing his testimony, so up to this point, he's still not truly converted to Daniel's God. Listen to what Daniel says, though, in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said to him, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Now think about it. Is Daniel being polite? Yes or no? Yes, he is, right? He's saying, look, king, I wish this wasn't about you. I wish this was about your enemies because Daniel knows the interpretation. He knows what's going to happen to the king should he not repent. He knows where the king is headed. But what Daniel doesn't know, and this is where you and I sometimes, no matter how godly, no matter how well-meaning, no matter how how comforting we want to be to those who are walking opposed to God. Daniel didn't know that what was going to happen to the king, no matter how bad it was, was actually the best thing that could happen to the king. Your child may not want you to take him to the dentist because it may hurt. But you know as a parent that if you don't take him and you allow that hurt to continue, in the end it'll be what? Worse and not better. In Daniel's limited vision, he wished this was for his enemies. But God knows that this is exactly what the king needs should he not repent in order to bring him into a faith-saving relationship with God. And so my question to you is, are you willing to allow God to do whatever it takes to bring you home into the kingdom? Should it mean early death? Should it mean jail? Should it mean a disease that will take your life? Should it mean you losing everything you own on this earth? What could it be? But if it's the will of God, let it be. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, I want to be in the kingdom with my Savior. Daniel had wished this was for somebody else, but God knew exactly is what this king needed. And so Daniel reads to him the interpretation. And just to be clear, we know it. The tree that you saw in verse 20, which became large and grew and strong, whose height reached to the sky and who was visible to the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and those who branches 
and whose branches the birds of the sky lodge. It is you, O king. But where you heard, verse 23, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, both with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This interpretation, O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which he has come upon my Lord, the king. He lets him know. King, this is what's coming. Verse 25, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like the cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize, King, that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. How would you like to hear that sentence? But I love God. His disciplines are conditional. Not only are his promises. And in that verse 26. And that the command to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Verse 27. The conditional aspect. Therefore, O king, my advice be pleasing to you. Break now away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Look at the beauty here. And God is always simple. Never, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you want to avoid the punishment. You want to avoid this decree. Then you have to do two things. Doing righteous, which is my responsibility to God. And from your iniquity by sharing mercy to the poor. What does that remind you? But the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is simple. Trust God with all your life. Trust God with all your heart. Surrender your heart to Him. And by the outflow of doing that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's all the king had to do. He didn't have to give up his kingdom. He didn't have to give up his riches. He didn't have to give up his dominion. All he had to do was surrender to God and treat people in his kingdom fairly. Sister White tells us this. That conviction not acted upon immediately soon fades away to the point that we forget. The king had listened to the interpretation. He knew it was true, but he didn't act upon it. And a year passes by, completely oblivious to the fact that this decree had been given to him. And verse 28, it says, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Did I not graduate with a 4.0 GPA and got all the scholarships to Ivy League schools? Did I not do that myself? And then they go to our colleges some in some of these colleges and they come back forgetting that it was God who gave them the wisdom to do that. 
Nebuchadnezzar looked upon its kingdom and on that very moment, verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Perhaps the very problems you keep repeatedly going through are a reminder that you have yet to recognize that God is in control of even your life. You know, what's interesting about this is that archaeology has found evidence of Nebuchadnezzar's madness. Now, to be completely fair, if you look up and Nebuchadnezzar's illness on Google, you'll find an article from Ministry Magazine. And they found in the British Museum an old stone with some inscriptions that you can't say 100% sure it's describing his illness, but it's, to me, more than enough evidence that it's describing his illness. This is what the tablet says. Nebuchadnezzar considered his life of no value. First of all, the fact that it even acknowledges Nebuchadnezzar is proof that the Bible is talking about this king. His life appeared of no value. And the Babylonian speaks bad counsel to evil Murdoch. In other words, he's confused. Doesn't know what he's doing. Then he gives an entirely different order, but he does not heed the word from his lips, the courier. He does not show love to son or daughter. Think about it. He's aloof from everything. His attention was not direct, directed to promoting the welfare of Babylon. He prays to the lords of lords. He raised his hands. He weeps bitterly to Murdoch. He pray, his prayers go forth. The brackets are what's missing. But they have deciphered that there are two people in this tablet. But one is definitely Nebuchadnezzar, and it's saying that he gave orders that made no sense. So I can't say for sure that it's 100% proof of Nebuchadnezzar's illness in archaeology, but it's more than enough evidence that something was going on with Nebuchadnezzar. And I have faith in God that this is evidence enough that what took place in Daniel chapter 4 is true. Because if you notice in your life that God doesn't work by demonstration, he works by evidence. Sufficient evidence to let us know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. A couple of weeks ago, though, about a week ago, a bunch of pastors started talking about the life of a young man named Eminem. Anybody know who that is besides the young people? Okay. Now, Eminem started his musical career right as I was coming back to Christ. So I, I really never got into his music because if you know anything about his music, it's full of cursing, misogyny, rape, you know, things that Christians should not be listening to. But he is known as one of the top rappers, and he is... Well, very popular amongst 
people of my age and younger. But last week, this headline came out. Is Eminem a Christian? New song features him praising Jesus. Now, as I am, this happened last week, this conversation with pastors, I happened to get on Facebook when I see this, and I was studying Daniel chapter 4. And now it broke my heart because obviously I'm in the pathos and in the mood of seeing this pagan king surrender to the Lord of Lords. So that's where I'm coming from. But it broke my heart as some pastor saying, that can't be, that guy is going to fry in hell for everything he has done. There's no way he's being sincere. Now, I don't know whether he's sincere or not, but I do know that if God can change a pagan king, he can change anybody. And I don't know if he's sincere or he's just trying to sell records or getting to a new thing. But I do know this, that I have since learned, and as I study Daniel chapter 4, is that I no longer want to view anyone as my enemy, but as someone who can be redeemed for the glory of God. That does not mean I will not stop what they're trying to do if it's going to pervert the church or pervert children. But what is the end game is my question. What is the end game? If you don't like Democrats, if you don't like Republicans, what is the end game? Just to see them out of office or do you want to see them in the kingdom? Because if all you're worried about is seeing them out of office, then you need to check your heart because they are children of God that he wants to see in the kingdom. So is it sincere or not? We don't know, but these are the lyrics he wrote. I'm holding on, but I don't know if I can take it much longer. Today's the day that I put all my trust and faith in you, Father. So my Savior, I call on to rescue me from these depths of despair. So these demons better step because he is my shepherd. I am armed with Jesus and my weapon is prayer. He goes on to say, Bible at my side like a rifle with a God-given gift. Every single day I thank God for that's why I pay so much homage. Praise to Jesus, I'll always. This is his latest song. After 20 years of singing blasphemy, could this be sincere? I don't know. And I'm not one to judge either way. But I do know that Nebuchadnezzar twice praised the God of heaven without truly being surrendered. But he was on his way to a full surrender. No one surrenders overnight. God begins to work on you little by little until you finally come to your knees and fully surrender. And so in that Facebook conversation, I wrote this a week ago. May it be genuine. Was just studying Daniel chapter 4, and if God can take a proud monarch and lead him to a faith-saving relationship, God can do, to this, God can do the same with a rap God and bring him to surrender to Christ. I use in quotation rap God because he, I think he had an album named Rap God. So who's your enemy? May we have no enemies. May we look at even those who hurt us as children worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. See this tree represented the king. And the king was the one who was blessing all of his kingdom. They ate from the foliage of his tree. 
They were protected and shaded from the harsh sun by the foliage of his tree. But if you notice in the tree, the tree could not reach to heaven. But there was one tree that could. That connected heaven and earth. And my Savior hung on it. We look at Nebuchadnezzar's madness and we think, wow, what he went through. But on that cross, Christ bared Nebuchadnezzar's madness and all our sins. And Lurie in her devotionals was reading and she saw this quote that I want to share with you. She's, he said, God, Jesus, he planted his cross midway between heaven and earth and made it the object of attraction which reached both ways, drawing both justice and mercy across the gulf that separates us from God. What will it be? Would you hold on to Christ so he can hold on to you? May you cling to the cross of Christ. May you recognize that the tree in which he hung on, thank you, Farley, is the only tree that will bring you home. And it's the only tree that connected heaven and earth. See, because many of us are going through or will be going through or have gone through things that want to shake our foundation in Jesus Christ. But Nebuchadnezzar, I am telling you, is going to be praising our God for the rest of eternity because he's going to be able to tell people, God went so far as to make me a beast for seven years in order that I may be in the kingdom. So what about you? What are you willing to tell Jesus, make me and mold me to whatever you want me to be in order that I may be in the kingdom? You know, I look at Eminem's life and the things he sung about. Well, I can tell you that in my life, I've done things worse than Eminem. But by the grace of God, God captured me and cornered me. And now I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching about the man who died and hung on that cross for me. Not a boastful me, but the fact that me can be preaching this gospel for what I have done. If he can do it for Nebuchadnezzar, if he can do it for me, he can do it for Eminem, and he can do it for you. There is nothing he can't do. There is nothing he will stop from doing. There is nothing that will hold him back from giving all of heaven for you and for me. How do I know that? Because he did it already on the cross. And he's going to pursue you until you draw your last breath. Until you say yes or no. But all of heaven will know that God did everything to get you into the kingdom. So I no longer look at Nebuchadnezzar as an enemy. I look at him as my brother. We've walked the same path. We've both been pagan, heathens, contrary to God. We both needed to surrender our pride and live by the grace of God. I'll leave you with this. What a shame it would be for this murdering pagan king 
to be redeemed by the grace of God and enjoy eternity. And we have these precious truths and be lost. God forbid. So I make an appeal to each and every one of you today. Who's willing to stand up with me today and say, Lord, I'm willing to let you do whatever it takes to get me into the kingdom. Because, Father, in the end, that's all I truly want. That's your desire. I ask you to stand with me today. Now listen to what you're pledging. Whatever it takes, Lord. It can mean a wheelchair. It can mean prison. It can mean losing a child early. It could mean dying of some disease. It could be riches. It could be fame. It could be glory. But Lord, whatever it takes, we have pledged today. I want to meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. Only you know what that is. So share it with God one-on-one. -on -one. And I'll close this up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you see those who have stood, Father. You know their pains, their doubts, their worries, wondering what the future holds. But Father, I ask, and as they have pledged, make their pledge 100% surrendered and sincere to you. They have given you permission, Lord, whatever it takes to bring them into the kingdom. May we be there one day singing your praises, sharing our testimony that you indeed did whatever it took to get me there, to get us there. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.